absolutely ridiculous. Love one, welcome to Around the Course Squash Podcast. It's been a while, fellas. Jesus, it's good to see us. What are you up to? <laughs> well, you say that, but Chris and I spent every day together last week. Oh, I feel so left out. I was both happy and sad. Happy that you guys were together. Sad that I couldn't be there to join in the fun. I left you a ticket at Will Call every day just to be disappointed to yeah, not see you. I got pick the email. It up. Every, every day I got the email <laughs> and it was asked me to submit my COVID vaccine um, passport thingy majigan. Yeah, it... Uh, <clears throat> I'm not crying. <laughs> you, you had an open invite for my blow-up mattress. Didn't take it. I mean, yeah, geez, you, you went all out there in the spare rooms, too, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only spare room I have is a large cupboard. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you were going to sleep in there. You're a good man, huh? <laughs> geez, what? How's your wardrobe looking? Full of pen, pen attire, huh? Pretty much, yeah. attire. <laughs> I mean, unless it says pen or suitable for running, I don't want it. <laughs> you can run in anything. <laughs> yeah. But so you guys have been spending a lot of time together. Chris, that's obviously you made the big move from the big smoke, the big apple down to Philadelphia. The home of the greatest athlete that never lived, Mr. Rocky Balboa himself. Well, you're talking about Stu. He lives. I don't know if he's the greatest athlete. <laughs> <laughs> greatest runner I know um yeah so about five five six weeks in time's flown but started at the U.S. Squash National Center um and it's it's been fun but mainly you know I figured there's no jobs in Providence stewards here got to make the podcasting life a little bit easier so we can so Stu and I have, you know, daily lunch meetings to go over what we're talking about on the next pod and <laughs> go over to Penn and have a little challenge match circuit with uh, recurring guest Gilly Lane. He's edged me 2-1 right now, but we're doing a best of 45, so I've got some time to catch up. You're in for the long haul. You're thinking yeah. big picture. I big like picture. It. Yeah. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> I had the recent one was a bit of a battle. Oh yeah, eleven nine in the fifth. Ooh, we traded three loves week one, so you knew game three of the series was going to be a battle. Oof. He hasn't Oof. won one on the road yet, though. He hasn't even he hasn't played a game on the road yet, and everyone oh. knows it. Everyone knows it's not a series until you win on the road. So it's have all the matches been played at Penn? Oh yeah, his home barn. Oh man, there's got to be bonus points for taking the win at at uh, his home barn. See what you what the FIFA have the. Uh... The away goal. Is that what it's called? The away goal rule, yeah. The away goal rule. <laughs> so it's actually two all. Yeah. <laughs> two one is two all. <laughs> Chris, don't worry. He's he's recovering from a mental barrier after he had a match shift the other day. I don't think he would appreciate me saying this, but too bad. <laughs> um, I won't name the opponent, but no, go on. Yeah, you can't do that. He's a high-ranked female player, former right. panel, former pen alum. And Melissa Alves. Good guess. Can't confirm or deny that. <laughs> I'll take not denying can, it as confirmation. Con- I, I can confirm she's in town. Um, Let's go. But he was 10-5 up in the fifth and lost. Oh. oh. <laughs> Melissa, I think, played him. Just lured him into a false sense of security there, 10-5 down in the fifth. Then he's put kind down of a, a big he's, 
he sometimes has that Baptiste Misotti, uh, Biscotti, as Adam Hamill likes to call him. Um, he sometimes gets that, you know, he gets up a few points and he likes to go for the, for the Mizuki or the top spin winner. So I can see, I can see how uh, she pulled it back. Oh, well done, Melissa. Good win. Well, <laughs> back to the score. She missed a great week out there. Oh, I didn't miss a thing, actually. I saw almost every single match. <laughs> not quite the same. It's it's not, but I also had the luxury of listening to the wonderful commentary all week, which you didn't quite get. And Stuart, you know, when you're sitting by a glass wall on the sidewall, you don't, you know, you don't get all the angle, you know? Oh, no, I love that sidewall. I was choosing that. Oh, fair enough. I mean, I've seen a lot of squash through the back wall in the last two or three years. So I went. I specifically went for the cheap seats down that side wall. Scotsman, huh? <laughs> Arthur, we're called around the court for a reason. You know, you can't just sit on the back wall all day. You got to get around. That's fair. That's fair. I um, I take it all back. <laughs> it, it, it did it did look pretty amazing i'm sure being there like the atmosphere and, and the excitement around the opening of the specter center it i mean what was it like as amazing that, as it looked definitely fun yeah uh i was work you know working and fairly busy so i didn't get to catch a whole lot of like games definitely not matches front to back because i kind of have my head on a swivel all night um but fun to just be a part of the the atmosphere and the energy. And yeah, I think uh, it was, you know, a couple matches went into like 1130 PM and there'd still be 40 or 50 people in the stands. Like people were enjoying the squash. Yeah. It worked really well as a tournament venue, Um, especially for a big event like that. It's great. You can, it's almost like being at like a big tennis event where you can sort of go and watch a match on this court. And then once it's done, you can see a, What's the next round of matches? What match do I fancy checking out? Like, I love that that element of it. Or you could watch a game here and then go over and check out a match over in one of the side courts. Especially the first two days, they had four courts running. They had the two glass courts and then two of the side courts. So, yeah. I guess it was the first ever event that PSA Squash TV had both matches televised both matches um, on video review and com- I think both matches had commentary. Is that right, Arthur? When it got no. to these like later stages. I and think they the were semis did. Did they not? The quarters. From the quarters, they quarters. had to like both courts are being commentated on and both courts were also yeah. using the video referee. Yeah. So I think that was the first ever time any tournaments had that. But the the earlier rounds they were using both glass courts, but they only had commentary and video review on one of them. That's yeah. nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting that that's actually quite a big, a big thing. It's almost getting into like well, maybe not in, from a viewership, but certainly from a product. Like when you think about Wimbledon having, you know, you got the outside courts and then you have your centre courts in court number one, commentary. And, and if the it. if the prize money grows, like you could have a draw of one hundred and twenty eight. Right, which should, doesn't is. really happen in squash. No, no. Although one of the, th- I mean, everyone that I've spoken to or heard chatting about it seemed to, to love the venue, loved the fact that the US Open was back in the calendar. The one sort of minor criticism I heard, but it, 
the prize money was actually cut below the usual level of a platinum event. I think it might actually have been the lowest prize money for a platinum tournament ever, or certainly in recent years. Um, what not was my that? department. <laughs> I don't know, not my department. <laughs> You're one of them now, Chris. It's all you. It's all you. Right. We've got enough, enough responsibilities. And I believe that was also one of the factors that obviously a lot of these events have had rest days and split split draws in terms of like top half play one day, bottom half play the next day. Whereas the US Open was six days, six rounds. Um, I think that was to minimize uh, hotel costs and keep the, keep the overall running costs down as much as possible. Speaking of back-to-back matches, um, consecutive matches each day, the man of the moment, huh? Mr. Rasal, like 90 minutes, 100 minutes, 90-odd minutes, three from quarterfinals on is pretty outrageous. And yeah. to come, like, geez, I, I, he was dead and buried in the final. <laughs> I know. And even even the earlier rounds, he didn't get through that quickly in comparison to how, how he could normally cruise through people. I think one of the people he played was actually Biscotti or Baptiste Masotti. <laughs> um, he dropped the game there. Up two actually was a that went five, yeah, yeah. Actually, he didn't drop two. Masuti one two. That was a uh, it was actually ferocious hitting. Some of that was Masuti's hits. Yeah, see, fact, you, oh, whew, geez, if you feeling all right, <laughs> I'm warning you now. I'm off the ball boil right now. Is everything okay? Yeah, work's, just, work's getting in the way. Oh my god! When I'm watching live, I'm not able to like look up stats on Squash Info or PSA website, so it doesn't go in my notebook. And if it's not in my notebook, I don't remember it a week later. So then you're not actually a CFAX; you're just a resource that pulls information from another resource. <laughs> exactly. You're supposed to be the resource. I'm someone with Google and far too much time in my hands. That's what I've always been. Well, not anymore. Apparently, you know, you're working too hard these days. Well, yeah, there's that too. Friday night call. I gave this man a call on Friday night, Chris. Six o'clock. One of five rackets he had strung. Eleven for the weekend. What a guy. Yeah. That's good. A... Do those pen guys know? They're getting their rackets strung by a legend. On top of being taught four... by a legend. I did 14 on the weekend. And in the first two days of practice, Monday, Tuesday, I've got another nine. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. Look at you. Yeah. I feel like our guys might be hitting the ball far too hard. Yeah, maybe give them some sponge balls. <laughs> yeah, you guys start practicing. You guys start stringing them up with the tennis string for their practice rackets. Yeah. Well, going back to Sal, just a couple of really. I mean, we'll we'll talk. We'll dive into it a little bit more. But two random stats. Well, not really random, but two stats that got me thinking. Um, and obviously, if you think about it, which I was thinking about, I'm sure if you started thinking about. How many five-game matches Asal has played? And then think about that for a second. And then think and ask yourself the question, how many goddamn five-game matches has he lost? And so I just had a quick, I did a quick thing after the final. So he's played 20 matches on PSA that went to five games. Any idea how many? Hey, CFAX, I can see your eyes are flicking through the screen there. <laughs> right, put that down, huh? Put that down. Any idea how many he, how many he won? I think he might have lost a 
Chris Binney in a final in London before he rose up. Is that right? I don't know. I can tell you. Um, I can tell you how many lost. I didn't actually register who he two? lost them to. Two. I know. Um, Choose my guess. Four. 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 Sixteen for four. That's that's a that's an unreal, isn't it? I think so for a twenty-year-old. Yeah, right. I mean seventy-five percent win percentage. Yeah, it's more than that. Actually, is it? Uh, you guys are better on maths than me. I'm, I didn't go to school. Eighty percent. Eighty percent. There you bad. go. Huh? Jeez. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah, well, look, you can. It's not your jurisdiction, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, a, wasn't a math major. Cfax is back. So he, he didn't actually lose to Benny in five. He lost to Benny in four, Chris. Mm. So that doesn't Nash, count. Nash come and Nash shut up. Come. Shut up, Benny. Uh, see if you can guess who's beaten Mustafa Sal in five, and they've all been within the last two years. I can, I, I can say uh, Ali's got to be one. Yusuf Suleiman. Ali never went to five of them. No, Ali's beat Ali beat him in the British Open in five. Oh, recently. I stand corrected. That's one. Yusuf Suleiman. Correct. Fares Dazuki. Correct. Yusuf Suleiman again. No. Ah. <laughs> Couldn't think of anyone else. This the one you're missing was the first one he lost. Paul Cole. Nope. Never lost. No? He's never lost to Paul, yeah. Yeah. Really? I thought they know. traded. I thought they traded. No. Three, two, yeah. twice, two big ones, and then a three one. Okay. As recent as last week or the week before. So this was in the last sixteen of the 2019 Egyptian Open. Okay, last sixteen. Can't give it. We have to guess. I mean, eventually we're going to run out of the process of elimination. We will find. Tarek. No. He said him. It's one of the Shabagi brothers. Hmm. Marwan? Correct. Hey, well, <laughs> well, you mate. Thanks for the challenge. Appreciate that. Did um, well on that 50 50 guess there. Yeah, I did actually. Um, the other stat that, that was quite interested in was, and I haven't actually, I think I have the exact number here. I took a screenshot of it. Um, tiebreakers. Now, the win and loss, I don't know what it is, but give or take the percentage, and I was scrolling through my phone here, and, and the old mince pies aren't what they used to be. Um, but what I got was 76%, 76% uh, strike rate for tiebreaks. And it was something, I think, what I have here in front of me, which may not be right, is 26 out of 34. Ish. Yeah. And to your point, being a younger player and basically only playing the big events, it's pretty outrageous that. Yeah. So on the back of that then, so I was talking to, I was back home in Ireland at the end of, the, of August and I caught up with Derek Ryan for um, a cheeky beer. And he was just, you know, he's been going back and forth to Egypt quite a bit over the last couple of years, pre-pandemic and, and through it. And he's obviously, as most people will know, and for those that don't, he's a PSA physio. But he's a, he's a great physical trainer. And he, he's Ali Farag's trainer amongst many of the other top Egyptian and top squash players in the world. So he goes over and he does these camps and he works with a bunch of kids. So he shows me this video over a pint of a kid, a 12-year-old, hitting a squash ball. Shout out there. And he's like, what do you think of this kid? And I'm watching him. I'm like, blimey, this, <laughs> this kid's unbelievable, right? 
And he says, yeah, 12 years of age. And then he says, he's 80 something in the country under 13s. And so then, you know, you, you, th you think about that for a minute and you think, okay, so let's just roll the clock back five years or eight years when Asal was 12. And let's just say there's like an element of growth in terms of bums on seats and numbers. But I'm pretty sure that the standard was they still had 50 or 60 players. So that guy who was 80, maybe he was 40 or 50 eight years ago. All right. Now you think you go through all the age groups and that's the level. What comes out at the top of that? What come, what's the end product? Now, who's the top of the castle at the junior as an 18, 19 year old? And there's your Asal. And you just think, and then you look at those stats of the, of the five gamers, 16 or four, 80%, 76% uh, strike rates, give or take for tiebreakers. And you just think like, if that's the level that he's been playing at and that's the competition, granted the standard's not the same, but it's so closely contested. You're bound to be pretty good at close situations. And I don't know. I, I sort of, maybe I'm looking for something that's not there, but I sort of felt no. there's got to no, be something makes, in that. I mean... This is, I think, I think we've made this point on here. Like, how do you, how do you replicate that if you're Paul Cole, Diego Elias, you're from Ireland, you're from Scotland, you're from Canada? You can't. If you're really good, you're like number one for your age group. You might be top four in the age group above you. You know, like you might be top sixteen in the age group above that. And these these guys probably have fifty other 12 year olds chasing that are really good it's a totally different pressure cooker to your point and then you just think like it's only going one way in egypt like it's so hard like there are the odd exceptions like you see paul cole is unbelievable diego and there's a handful of other coming through and maybe a few french players and a couple of young english guys but the volume of young people playing an outrageous level of squash and I know from talking to Derek that, I mean, they pretty much trained and played all the way through COVID. And then you look at the countries and Ireland being a really good example of there's some really, I mean, I'm biased, but I don't think it's unfair to say or untrue to say as an Irishman, even that there's some really good talent in Ireland as young, young people that are doing well in British Opens and, and what have you. And like they had, they pretty much did nothing over COVID and um, they trained, but they didn't play squash up until a couple of weeks ago and you like that's a year of ground that they've lost and i wonder is that the same in other countries and then is the, is the gap going to be bigger than what it is now in a couple of years time as a result of that yeah yes. and and the other fallout of that is all those clubs in egypt were able to stay open and keep their customers and members and whatnot and to your point there's probably a lot of clubs around the world that are closed because of covid because they just weren't able to stay open and they still had to pay some bills yeah it's, it's interesting just chris has obviously moved out of this world but in terms of college recruiting where the u.s junior circuit is basically back up and running again i've had the first couple of gcts i think there's another one this weekend coming up but it's really interesting to just see which kids have, have improved and which kids have sort of stagnated or sometimes just lost a bit of motivation or lost some of that momentum that they maybe had. Um, and a big part of recruiting at the moment is just trying to recalibrate and see who are the best players, who are the, the kids that have come through this, highly motivated, that have maybe put a lot of work into their game and still 
trying to get better and work on things in the game versus those that maybe just didn't have the access to courts or just the lack of tournaments was such a big factor for why they played squash and enjoyed training was because they got to compete and lost that. Um, yeah, the landscape's definitely changed, although I will say my initial sort of observation is that the strength and depth in the US is still there. Yeah. There's still, a, especially on the women's side, I would say the number of high-level junior females is that I've witnessed in the first couple of JCT tournaments, which is sort of the highest level that they have over here behind the junior nationals. Um, some of the, the women's draws, sort of under under 17 and under 19 in particular, are really strong and really deep. Yeah. That's a I good was, sign. That is a great sign, yeah. And, and it is, and there's still, obviously, the Spectre Centre is a, you know, a huge centre that has, you know, great plan uh, not great plans but we'll, we'll there'll be lots of traffic going in and out of there and um, there's more clubs being that have been opened um around the country more schools but i think here, here looks it looks pretty good to be fair it's in a pretty healthy state considering what the last 18 months have been agreed yeah um but anyways, that was the mess Oh, jeez, we missed nothing. <laughs> we did. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so, Solvi got to number three in the world. That's pretty amazing. That's that's a big talking point. Talking about women's squash in in the US and the U seventeen, the nineteens, and the level. Yeah, and well deserved as well. I think based on sort of recent results, she's she's making consistently semis and nearly all the events. Obviously, the US Open didn't go quite as well for her as I'm sure she would wanted, but. The week before, she won in San Francisco, which I believe is the biggest tournament of her career. Yeah. But all these platinum events, um, she made uh, semifinals in, um, in the Egyptian Open, yeah. semifinals of British Open. Um, yeah, if you look at the other person that was kind of competing with her for that three and four spot, it was Camille Salmon. I would definitely say that Amanda over the last sort of six months maybe even a little bit more than six months going back to like the end of last year maybe even the start of certainly the start of this year I think she's been more consistent than for me it was also a little bit ridiculous that Nur Al-Tayeb was still ranked three in the world despite not playing for almost a year now she's coming back man I don't know if you follow her on Instagram yeah I saw her hitting some forehands oh yes love to see her back playing what a legend Uh, I still don't think she deserved to be ranked three in the world when she hasn't <laughs> played a single tournament for 11 months. But yeah, the, the ranking system has so, eventually sorted itself out. For me, Sobey's been just passing the eye test too. Like she just, she looks much stronger and she's playing much better than she was eight months ago. Like fully deserves to be moving up um, and obviously backing it up with results, but just I think uh, noticed a huge shift in in her game over that six or eight months to get her here. Now I get to see her all the time. Saw her today. Happy days, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm still haven't got my challenge match. I'm coming for you, man. Oh, <laughs> coming. I'm looking at our record now, and she's going back to black ball at the end of December last year. She lost in the semis there to Hanya, and then she lost. She made the final of the, the next Black Ball tournament in March where she lost to Sherbini. Yeah. Um, 
lost to Gohar and Elguna in the semis, lost to Shabini in the world and the British semis. Um, Gohar again in the Egyptian Open. So yeah, I think that's pretty solid. Yeah, to be fair, it's not bad. Justified, and then like I say, she rounded it off with a great tournament at the NetSuite Open, um, where she yeah. took out. Um, well, do we want to talk about her opening nine-minute match and that? Oh my God, huh? Jeez, how do you have a knock-up? Did that include the two minutes? Yes, it did. I think it's supposed to, yeah. From the first rally to the last rally and whatever happens in between that. Nine minutes. Even includes the time when you had to tie your shoelaces because one of them became unstuck. Ay, ay, ay. That is, that is some... Seven-minute abs. <laughs> exactly. There's nine good minutes of squash. Yeah, it was it was certainly that. Um, it actually reminded you know it, the first thing you know, we were texting a little bit about how ridiculous it was. I remember watching uh, Power playing Matt Jufri at the North American Open. And Not the TOC. Was it TOC? Wherever it was, I was first, was, first round. Like eleven one, eleven two, eleven one, and no. Oh, no, I think, well, so maybe there's another match, but you tell yours and then I'll tell you, what, I'll tell you Jonathan's version of the story. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so if my memory strikes me right, it was the North American Open and I could be wrong, but it was one, two and one. And I, I actually think it was 11 minutes and not 13, but let's just call it 13. But now you've made me question my memory, which is. Well, would, it have been, would it have been 11 scoring? One question I have for you. Yes. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, so there might have been another time, but oh, or it's the same time. Same and guys? I just have a different different memory. I think so, yes. Um, he, he was handy. I know he was so whole Jonathan said, you know, his whole family flew over to watch the match, like flew to New York or whatever, flew to watch the first round match. And <laughs> And I, I thought I remember him saying he beat him to zero points in like, or, or maybe it was just like, I beat him in 11 minutes. Maybe I don't remember the points thing, right. But maybe it was just like, yeah, I beat him in 11 minutes or 13 minutes. And I think his whole family flew in from Canada to watch that match. I think it was 11 minutes as well. It was, it was literally <laughs> boom, boom. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. Well, I think Amanda's strike rate at nine minutes. I'm sure she can bring it down to 11 for a best of five someday. Uh, I just, yeah. Anyways, yeah, that's it. What a guy, JP. There was a few strange results out there in San Francisco on the women's side. So you had um, Gohar lost to Salma Hani, which on her recent form was a massive upset. Um, Hanya lost to Joel King, and then Salma beat Joel in the semis to reach the final, where Amanda won three love, but. Um, Gohar certainly guides back pretty well at the US Open. So, sure think we sh- can we shout out story. Olivia Fichter? Yeah, yeah definitely. Amazing Big tournament, home home city, home crowd behind her, which was fun. Um, yeah, and she she earned it. She was playing. She was playing very well. Um, and that's a like Gohar. I mean, I thought Olivia played all solid in the semi. I thought Gohard showed how on form she was with, with like that win. Like she, I, that was one of the few matches I actually kind of sat down and, and watched fully. And um, yeah, the way she was moving, like nothing got past her. She picked up every ball. 
anything loose she was she was finishing and what I noted kind of in my mind was one of the differences is like if anything was played to the back of the court even if it was four inches off the side wall like she would she would randomly attack off everything back there and like I think that's where Sherbini's obviously made her her living is like her weight of her weight of shot, the angle of her shots to the back, like just don't give people like Gohar and some of the other good attacking players, like much to work with from the back. And then she also has all that, all those options, but it was pretty impressive. I I thought Gohar played well, really well all tournament. Yeah. She looked amazing. So light in her feet, huh? Yeah. She was moving ridiculously. So quick. Forehands looking tasty too. Yeah. Some of those matches with Olivia Fichter though were some of the highlights of my week last. Just in terms of the atmosphere, she's obviously a local Philly girl, having sort of in many ways a breakthrough tournament, big win against Amanda in the round of sixteen, and then she followed up against Neil Gillis in the quarterfinals. But it was just great to see so much sort of crowd support and energy amongst people watching for those matches so um, certainly a good sign they've obviously got Amanda, Sabrina Olivia, Blatchford Klein um, so yeah healthy signs for US squash and shouldn't also forget Marina Stefanoni with a huge win against your countrywoman Chris took out oh, Daniel yeah. Letourneau in the first round which is a huge upset I mean Danielle's up I think she's top 20 in the world 18 yeah. 19. Uh, and Marina beat her three love. She's only 19, I think. I think she's just moved out of juniors, but she's been the sort of dominant US junior for the last five or six years. I think she won under 19 nationals at the age of 13. Which 12. Was... You sure? Pretty, pretty sure. So that's not 100% sure. <laughs> yeah. But she, you know what? Let's call it 13. It's probably safer. Either way, it's outrageous. Yeah, it is. It is until you remember that Shabini was winning world juniors at <laughs> that age. That's just outrageous times. That's just outrageous on outrageous. But no, but, um, and the other wild card was actually Marina's younger sister, Lucy, who's also now the number one junior in the US. So there's certainly plenty of top players to sort of keep this this US squash tradition going on the women's side. Yeah, do you know, I don't know if you saw, well, you wouldn't have seen because you weren't watching it, but because uh, you were there. But the uh, at the end of the tournament, um, as they were kind of wrapping things up on Squash TV, they had like all the previous winners and runners up over the years from 2010 up. I did I actually didn't realise Amanda Sovey was runner up in 2010, losing out to Vanessa Atkinson in the final. Wow. I could be wrong here, but I think back then the US Open wasn't like as big an event on the calendar as it is now. I think there was a few years where it was I think you're right. quite a big event, but I don't think it was like it might be like British Open, Hong Kong Open, maybe Egypt. She would have been she would have been like a freshman at Harvard probably then. Not even. She would have been still in high school, I believe. Seventeen. Yeah. yeah. You I said twenty ten? 2010, yeah. yeah. I think she started at Harvard in 2015, so 
No, no, no. Sorry, she finished at 2015. Finished, yeah. She yeah, yeah. started in 2011. Yeah, that sounds about yeah. right. But like I say, I don't believe the US Open was at the same level of tournament it is now back then. I don't think, I don't think, I think you're right, yeah. I think... Um, don't, don't let those details get in the way. Yeah, come great on, Great story, Stuart. Great story. God, God damn it, God damn it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just Jeez. ruined it for, for you. For, I think for was, all our listeners, including Amanda. Sorry, I, Amanda. I think it was the year after when Drexel signed the deal with US Squash to host it, 2011. It was, because they were sort of celebrating 10 years. Ah, That's there you go. They've moved now from, from Drexel's squash facility to the new US National Center, which is actually a, I think it's a Drexel building, but they've leased it to US squash. Lovely. True. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have, we don't have to talk about all this stuff, but some of the other cool storylines and just some of the things, you know, Stuart probably actually caught more squash than I did, but I was just around for everything, but Macon was super impressive. Um, very, very impressive. The moment making match was insanely physical. They, they almost, you know, they almost both looked like they were going to cr- like just topple over. Um, but just the, the shot making he was pulling off, like you kind of always see it from moment to some, to some degree, but you know, 90 minutes in 11, 20, 11, 30 at night. And they've been battling and, he was still just putting in like loose ball, like really soft, really perfect drops. And you don't always see that from him. I thought he was kind of in a really good, really good space. And then the other guy that was just like dialing back the years was obviously Jimbo. Um, And he just such a fan favorite, like the building people were coming in, I think two days in a row, he played at noon and people were coming in just to watch him and then they'd leave and then maybe come back later at night. Like people were loving, loving the wolf drop matches. Yeah, he, was on, so. he was on early in those early, those first few days. So yeah. I actually, I really wanted to see his match against Marwan. Um, and I'll be honest, part of the reason I wanted to see that match was because I, I worried that it might be the last time I ever see him play live if he lost. Because <laughs> um, obviously he's, um, he's probably not going to play for another four or five years. So at this stage of his career, then you're never sure if, if you're going to see him in a year's time. Um, but I missed that match and I was delighted that he won. So I made a real effort to get in for the next round, which was against Abogar. Uh, and again, I, I probably wouldn't have backed him, but I got there towards the end of the first game, which he managed to win. He then went 2-1 down and I wouldn't say he looked that tired. He was still playing and moving well, but I probably wouldn't have backed him. And then he comes out and wins the fourth and fifth, 11-4, 11-3. And then put up a great performance again against Tarek Moment. So by that point, he played three straight days. I think he I think he said he wasn't actually sure how his body was going to hold up because he hadn't actually played four tough matches like that for such a long time. But played great, took it to four, and... Never really seemed completely out, but even in the fourth, he was sort of hanging on there in there and um, eventually lost at 11 9. But great week for him. And what I was was saying was when I was watching, like some of those lunges, his head does start to kind of like fall towards the floor, but he was playing 
the most accurate drives and drops from these lunges that looked pretty like laborsome, you know, like he'd be, when I do those kind of lunges, like I hit myself with the ball. He was just like playing dead winners, like uh, just super impressive. Um, he definitely doesn't have the speed as some of these other guys or the, uh, you know, the kind of fluid, fluid movement anymore, but not many people hit a more accurate ball up that line. Yeah. Thing of beauty. One, it's one of the most impressive things when you see the game live again. And I've obviously seen a lot of squash live, but probably not at that level for a couple of years. Um, and you obviously know their ball control and skill levels are really high, but you forget just how good they are in those positions where they're maybe not as balanced as they want to be and they're stretching and they can still maneuver the racket and get the ball to go where it wants, uh, where they want. So, yeah. Yeah. I noticed that even in the couple of days when a lot of people were in town practicing, I was so impressed with just some of the, yeah, it just looks different live. It's really fun. So, I mean, to summarize, I mean, predominantly, I suppose the U S open, and the rest of the tournaments, the tour's looking pretty, it's pretty spicy, isn't it? I think, I mean, the, I think, yeah, and the, the only thing we didn't talk about was that that ridiculous dance move of Saul pulled to save, to save the match against Diego. Oh, my God. It could Jesus. be like, the could literally be the sports play of the year. To have the wherewithal to slip out of that, avoid the stroke, and then obviously he got Pure a little luck. He got a little lucky late in the rally uh, with, you know, hitting the crack, but the move itself and how fast he got out of there and just like the wherewithal mentally to do that was insane. It was, it's literally a tournament saver, but, but then he got through again, right? Like, yeah, that was some people, some people probably just wouldn't have got up. They would have slipped and they just would have been like, Oh, woe was me. And he just like so fast. What are you thinking if you're Diego? How do you sleep that night? You're like, Jesus, all I had to do was pump this shit out of the ball to the back of the court and I probably would have been all right. <laughs> I know, or maybe maybe go for the body and try and hit him there, but there's no right answer, right? What about a leisure center? What about leisure him at that point? Oh, no, yeah. no, 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 definitely leisure. That's oh, a yeah. straight back into yourself. Oh, well, listen, yeah. it, it, that's, that's a terrible choice. <laughs> well, I, well who, we, don't, we don't know that. A leisure could have actually thrown him because he went all the way that way. And then it's like, oh, sugar. No look, reverse boast is what Coach Arthur wanted him to do. Listen, I'm just... uh, just, You're on the record. I'm picking the least obvious choice there (laughs) because it's a stupid choice. And for that reason, it's brilliant. I like the body shot. I would have gone for the body shot. Yeah, I would have just good old straight drive me. Easy to say that from where we're sitting, (laughs) obviously. Sorry, Stuart, you have to say. Asal does deserve a lot of credit for his his week of not obviously winning the tournament, but just the way he conducted himself. He was much cleaner and fairer. I'm not sure if Paul Call would necessarily agree with that statement based on their quarterfinal match, but certainly by the previous standards, it was a lot better than those matches. And I thought the semi-final and the final were both pretty clean, fair matches. His match with Diego, I thought, was a great match. Um Diego again had a, a really good week, sort of showing that he he wants to try and move up. Similar to Joe Macon, he's not happy with making quarters of these events, and he wants to start 
trying to challenge to win titles and make finals. So he had a big win against um, Shabagi, which I think we talked about in the last episode. He's had a pretty rough run and it doesn't seem to have changed in terms of, he just seems to be tiring himself out. I'm not sure if there's an underlying issue, but he's certainly not the beast at the moment. Yeah. You're just saying all those nice things about Asal because he took a picture with you and signed your T-shirt. Oh, my <laughs> God. Look at this. Two things I thought I'd never see. I woke up the morning after the final, and there is Asal in the center of two of my compadres doing the celebration. With, is it the hand by the ears like this? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Stuart, you're, you're, you're loving it, man. The smile on your face, man. Oh, my God. And then and then better, better than that was actually Crawford. You appeared on his Instagram story, huh? All I can say is some people don't realize when they're being trolled. <laughs> I, looked, I, I, looked, I, I looked at Stu and I said, and he was on on the court taking a bunch of pictures of fans. And I looked at Stu and I said, we need to do this. <laughs> Chris made me do it. <laughs> uh, I just want to put it on record. It was not my idea. Listen, I didn't, I didn't make you get all those autographs to take home and hang on <laughs> your wall. That's it. You're big, you're big enough and old enough to make your own choices. I think Chris only encouraged you, and you were only too happy. I was just doing it for the pod. I was just doing it for the pod. What a guy! What a guy! I was thinking, I, I really hope he doesn't know who I am. I really hope he doesn't know what I've said about him in the past. But <laughs> yeah, it's in the past, day. But listen, like to be fair, I mean, I would say it was probably a little harsh, but it was also how you saw it, and to, you. We were equally able to say, you know what, credit for credit's due. I stand by everything I said, but I also admit that he is playing the game in a different spirit. Uh, still think occasionally he can be a little bit over the top, but generally speaking, I have no issue with what he's achieving at the moment. Oh, he's, always, he's a very good squash player, isn't he? Yeah, it's good to see. He's like, I think he's going to be one of those guys too, who's, who's like all about the fans, you know, like he, he was very generous at this time after the, after the win. And, you know, uh, not everyone would have probably done that, especially in COVID, but um, he was, he was, he was great. And the fans like, you know, loved him. So I think, he'll, was, was I, cool, I think cool, he'll so. continue to be, a, continue to be like a favorite if, if he, if he kind of keeps edging in the right direction. Right. I think what's so cool about when you see him win, uh, not I'm not I'm, I'm I mean Tron taking me short off is not my taste, but that's all right. <laughs> but he's so happy, yeah. Like uh, and even some of the interviews, he's like smiling ear to ear, and then he's like, oh, "I'm off to play FIFA. Happy days!" Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, such a kid. There's a uh, there's something there that I think is very charming. But uh, yeah, what a guy! Really interesting uh, week ahead in Qatar. I know there's no. Um, women's event, but both the tours, I mean, and you talked about, you know, Mackin and Diego and at the same vein, you had Haniel Mami in a similar vein, putting out similar messages that week, like, I'm not happy at eight in the world or six in the world, like, I, I want to be top four, I want to make finals, I want to win events. And Actually, do you reckon herself and uh, Goar went for a, for a pizza after their match? Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aye, aye, aye. Love it. I have to say, I'm not sure Gohar has too many people. I mean, I felt the same when she played, I can't remember what tournament, but she had a match with Joel where it didn't seem like they'd be going for, for pizza after the match. Um, Hanya certainly won't be. Um, yeah, something about her style seems to rub some of the other girls up the wrong way. 
she's she's an animal though mentally. I I think yeah. good on her. I mean, yeah. she I don't think she's there to make friends. Yeah, that's I, that's the sense I get too. Which is okay. You're probably right. Yeah. One of the disappointments actually is that there isn't that much for the women to look forward to at the moment. So I'm just looking at the sort of. I think calendar. that's it for the year. But I, I think they're looking well, forward to not having <laughs> too much more travel from from what I'm I think everyone's been uh starting to get a little bit tired, right? So Yeah, it's funny you say that because it was what it was World Open and like that was the end of the season and three weeks later is the British Open, Chicago. Not Chicago, uh what's after British Open? World uh, Open. Egypt, Egyptian Open. Yeah. There you go. So you've already had like four events in the new season and we're not even in but we are in October. Well, the women have got a, a reasonable-sized event in Detroit next week, which a lot of the girls have stayed on for. Quite a strong draw. Gohar is actually playing at number one seed. And then you've got uh, the only other top 10 player, actually, is Joel, but it's still pretty strong. Yeah. Um, all the top eight seeds are top 20 in the world, so decent depth. But then they don't really have anything. The men have... Uh, Qatar next week as well. And then they also have the Wharf in November. But at the moment, there might be, I think there's talk of um, a Malaysian Open for men and women. And then I think they're also looking to have another black ball event in December again. Um, Fair play to Egypt. Yeah. Uh, But that seems, they've basically got one more big platinum event the end of the year for the women um, and then I guess yeah TOC then will be a nice start January 16th not on the schedule yet but I do think think they're getting closer to I think it's going to happen from what I heard from some inside sources on TOC yeah I think, yeah, I think it's just, yeah, you know, just like a little bit of COVID fallout and stuff. So some things are, I think, more challenging, but I think they're getting closer. Also, the fact that John was able to host, uh, to hold the San Francisco event is hopefully a good sign then. Yeah. Um, no. I'm just looking, looking no. at the 22 calendar. I think I'll see old John next week. So I'll. Uh... See if I can get the inside scoop out only. Yeah, get some breaking news. Breaking news, you heard it here first. Even well, if you heard it somewhere else. It's good to be back. It's good to be, it's back, good to be so. back on the pod. Good to see you. Guys, I have to say, I think it's great to great to see you. It's great to be on the pod. I'm gonna have to, I think we'll have to call it there. I'm bleeding starved. You deserve a meal. I'll eat the hair off a of badger's back. <laughs> Don't even know if that's a phrase, but I'm just starved. It sounded, it sounded like you've said it before. <laughs> I think I might have. I think that might have been. Uh, yeah, I could have said something similar. <laughs> All right, well, guys, it's lovely to see you. Have a great rest of your day. It's eight thirty-six p.m. on a Tuesday night. If you like what you hear, check us out on social: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, OffTheCourt.com. <laughs> we don't even have a website yet. I mean, that's. I think that's what people used to do in the past. Now it's just like social. It's like, who would pay for a domain when you can have an, an Instagram account? Exactly. A website doesn't give you a story that people are going to follow, do they? <laughs> that's it, isn't it? That's it. That's it. It's a wrap.
Good news. Aroundthecourt.com is available. <laughs> this domain is registered at namecheap.com. <laughs>